let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Hey friends, today is the day. We've got our anniversary party and live taping tonight at Sunny's Pizza in Parkview. There's gonna be decor, there's gonna be drinks, there's gonna be two shows in one as a special anniversary bonus. So come on out. The party starts at five with a free wine tasting and the recording begins at 6.30. Hope to see you there. Today on CityCast DC. You might not have heard of Poplar Point. I hadn't, but it's a federally owned waterfront property in Anacostia, and it's also one of the most contested spaces in DC because everybody agrees it's prime real estate, but nobody can agree on what should go there. Tristan Navera explains some of the options and who's fighting for what. Oh, and stick around after the show for a short interview with our sponsor, the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. They're breaking down all kinds of restaurant week tips in conversation with our lead producer, Priyanka Tilbay. Today's Monday, August 28th. I'm Bridget Todd, and here's what DC is talking about. Tristan, I've actually never heard of Poplar Point. Where is that on a map? It's probably a, a piece of property that, that it's really easy to overlook. It's on the east shore of the Anacostia River. It's about 110 acres. If you're familiar with the area, it's directly north of the Anacostia Metro Station, kind of north of where the new uh, interchange and the new bridge is. Uh, it's typically, for the most part, the, the property is overgrown with, with grass and shrubs and um, it's really even hard to see from from the highway, so it's easy to miss. What is it slash was it? Like, what was going on here? Uh, so Poplar Point has a, a long history, actually. It it used to be a uh, a part of the tidal basin for the Anacostia River. Um, now, in about, about 100 years ago, the district uh, started dredging up sediment and things in order to kind of fill in that land to make it ready to be developed. For the most part, it's been kind of government uses. There was a plant nursery there for a while. The Coast Guard used it for some time. Uh, eventually, the U.S. Park Police operate their helicopter facility out of there now. But it's generally been kind of a quiet piece of land in the middle of a part of the city that everything else has developed around it. Like I think that land is beautiful. I've been to the sand lot down there. It's such a beautiful piece of land in, in a place that you see it and it's like, oh, this is almost unbelievable. This is right here in the middle of D.C. Do you have any sense of what's going to happen to the land going forward? Like, that's a great overview of the history of the space. But mm-hmm. what's the city thinking about in terms of what should be on that spot now? Well, that's the question they really want to answer right now. This piece of land has been proposed for everything over the course of history. At one point, it was considered to be a potential new site for Audi Field. At one point, it was supposed to be the FBI headquarters. You know, it, it's pretty what, big range. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever DC development buzzword you can think of at some point has been connected to Poplar Point. And so that's the struggle. You know, DC at this point 
has decided to go out and seek a real estate development company to help it plan a strategy. They have said very little about what they would like to see there. They have indicated housing would be a good use. Maybe it would be a good place to find some retail, some local grocery, some something or another, but it's got to be something other than what it has been this entire time since they started talking about it, which is basically just a bunch of overgrown brush. Well, I was going to say, it's kind of unusual, I feel, that a big parcel of land like this, it just comes up and is a blank slate and there's not, you know, clarity around what should be there, what will be there. Ha- is, has there been much pushback from folks in the community about building a housing development there? I know any conversation in D.C. about potential housing developments always seems to come with a lot of mm-hmm. opinions. Has that been the case here? Yeah, no, you're right about that, Bridget. It's interesting. Uh, the district calls this the last great riverfront e- redevelopment opportunity on the East Coast. Sure enough, there are not very many pieces of land like this out there anywhere, let alone in D.C. Now, it's kind of surprising. Uh, you know, I have covered real estate development for about the past 10 years. And sure enough, most of the time, folks are pretty opposed to development. In this case, people are ready to see something new. This land has so much potential for so many different things. A big part of the law that Congress enacted in 2006 that started kind of set the stage for Poplar Point to be redeveloped called for most of the land to stay green, whether that be a park or a nature preserve or something like that. There's been talk of maybe athletic fields, all kinds of potential things. There's a lot of different uses for the land that could be probably better, quieter, um, you know, more usable to the immediate community. And I think there's a desire to see change, to see development finally happen. So people just want something. They just don't want this spot to go unused. Yeah, yeah. Do you have any sense of what folks in Anacostia want specifically? Well, you know, the big thing has definitely been that green space. The land is pretty heavily used if you're a runner or a mosquito, but otherwise <laughs> it's it's real hard to access it. You know, folks want athletic fields. They want parkland. They want, you know, space for outdoor activities. They want congregating space. I've heard a lot of the neighborhood activists talk about, you know, there's a need to preserve some of the nature there, but that's already enacted in the law. The desire is to really unlock the space. You literally can stand on this shore and look across the river and see an entire part of the city that did not exist 20 years ago. As you see, you know, you think of Navy Yard kind of rising on the other side and, and how much has changed there. So to see this part of the land be stagnant, uh, the neighbors feel a little bit frustrated and they feel like it's time. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. 
Are there any people who are speaking up in this conversation who don't want anything there? They're like, leave the land alone. Let's have it be a big open space. It seems like that's probably a minority of voices if those voices exist at all. Yeah, there are a few. And and that's important to note. A lot of folks there are worried that this land is just going to become a bunch of big glass canyons of dense housing development. And they don't necessarily want to see that. They don't necessarily want to see development for development's sake. If you have looked at, you know, the district's affordable housing development goals, you've seen how Ward 8, Ward 7 and 8 both have absorbed a huge amount of the affordable housing that's been developed in the city. Folks are really concerned that they feel that development of this kind is being pushed into their neighborhoods and out of other neighborhoods, which is frustrating and understandable. So I think there's a worry that the maximum amount of development for its own sake would not serve the neighborhood. What do you see actually happening here with this space, if you had to guess? I'm going to guess it's going to take a long time and a lot of conversations. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's about the most DC thing, right? <laughs> this land has a lot of a lot of potential to really uplift the community around it if it's done thoughtfully. Um, I think that there has been a lot of thoughtful conversation there. It's probably going to have some mix of uses. That green space is probably going to be retained in some in some form. We're probably going to see housing there. We could potentially see any number of other uses there. There could be retail. There's been this conversation potentially about a wellness resort in D.C. somewhere. We asked them if they were interested in the site, and they said that they were, but they didn't say much beyond that. It's probably looking at the, the immediate development to the south of it at the Bridge District. The Anacostia Metro Station is already primed for a lot of change, and there's going to be reasons for folks to be coming down there. And so this is probably going to add to that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that it's definitely going to be a long, long conversation mm -hmm. and process. But where are we in that process? Still just trying to figure out what will be there? Like, where are we in the process to build on this land? Oh, yes, yes. This is this is one of those long processes. So the district has taken its bids for a consultant to help it plan a strategy. So that sounds a little bit, you know, <laughs> legally We're into like say. bringing on a consultant <laughs> to... to Consult on strategy. That's like yeah. early, early, early. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's DCEs, <laughs> isn't it? They're finding a developer to help them find a developer. Now, wow. this is going to be, at the end of the day, I do hope that that means that there's more time for real conversation about what becomes of the property. You know, this um, development entity that they're going to select is going to help them plan a strategy and help plan the outreach efforts for what happens as I said, you know, the city seems like it really wants to see housing here because it seems like it's urban infill. It's potentially urban infill that could really catalyze a neighborhood around it. But at the same time, the residents want to see a, a, a more thoughtful development than just kind of maxing out the density. So all of that process is going to be determined by the company that's picked now. And then that process is going to kind of control how the project is built. So we're in a long part of the process, but it's an important part of the process. And it's one where D.C. residents really have a chance to, to start kind of coming together and saying something. Million dollar question. How <laughs> long do you think it takes until we see something there? 
It'll be years. <laughs> like every other project. I mean, this is going to be Macmillan. Uh, this is going to be the wharf. Probably this design is going to be hammered out over the course of a year, two years. It's going to take another year or two years to go through zoning, at least getting financing. We could see something finished up there maybe by the end of the decade. Um, there's a lot of stuff to be determined between here and there. Well, Tristan, maybe you and I, maybe I'll see you there in 10 years time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually the Bridge District there, it's a huge win for them to really have landed the Atlas Brew Works. I'm going to be there when it opens. And so I hope that as many people as can get down there. So, <laughs> Well, thank you so much for following the story and thanks for being here today. Yeah. Hey, thanks again. And listeners, stick around because we've got a sponsored segment of Restaurant Week Tips for you in a hot second. Hey, it's Priyanka. I'm a producer on the show, and I am so proud to present this short interview with our sponsor today, the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. You probably know them from the annual Ramy Awards, but they also run our Restaurant Weeks. And this summer, one is happening from August 28th to September 3rd. Sean Townsend, you're the president and CEO of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington. We are so excited to have you here. And I am so excited for Summer Restaurant Week as well. Can you tell me a little bit about like what is special about this year's promotions? First, thank you for having me. This partnership would not be possible without our partners at Events DC, Open Table, Pepco, NBC Washington. We're excited about these partnerships because it allows us an opportunity to promote new restaurants. We have some some new participants this year, Duke's Grocery and Navy Yard. We have a new Mi Vida downtown that's participating. So these partners allow us to go out and recruit and help restaurants curate their menus for the first time. Some members are used to restaurant week being a little earlier in the month of August, but we wanted to give it a try this year and partner with the DC Jazz Festival. You know, you might go in somewhere and you might see a curated menu that is created around jazz. And so restaurants have the the flexibility to do that. And I mean, this is a great opportunity for restaurants who are partners of the jazz festival, but not necessarily members of the association to cross collaborate also this year for the first time, which is just as exciting. We are partnering with Metropolitan Washington Airports Authority to do restaurant week as well. So when you are leaving DC or arriving in DC and or Dulles, our restaurants in the airports will be a part of restaurant week. So that's Chef Jeff's, District Chop House, El Centro, Carabas, Legal Seafoods. These are all restaurants that will be participating in Restaurant Week. And they're at the airport. It's crazy. I I've never <laughs> would have thought, but it's uh, I'm excited about it. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, how it turns out. Oh, for sure. Nothing like a prefix menu to welcome you back home. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and that is exactly what it is, right? It's all prefix menus at these restaurants if they're participating with Summer Restaurant Week? Yep. Whether it's brunch or lunch for $25 a person or dinner for $40 or $55 per person. So, And this is on-premise dining. I love to see folks go to a new restaurant for the first time during Restaurant Week. And then, and then they end up going back multiple times because it's something new. You know, DC has a very diverse culinary experience in the region. And uh, it is a great time for people to explore. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I love Restaurant Week and it's because I tend to always explore and try new places through this festival. But I also have to say it can be a little bit overwhelming. Like there's so many menus to check out, so many options to look through. How do you recommend people pick the best deals for them? Get on the website, rwdmv.com and just start filtering through. You can search by neighborhood. You can search by zip code. You can search by cuisine. Take a look at the menus that are posted. Is there any restaurant menu that you're especially excited about? <laughs> I'm excited about spot. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited about all of them. But I mean, I- I'm trying to figure out what's going to be my plan for the airport dining experience. I think I'm going to try to figure out a-, a flight to leave on that weekend before restaurant week is over so that I can say I dined at the airport for restaurant week. Yeah, that's true. That is Labor Day <laughs> weekend. So it's a good time for a flight. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank you so much for being here, Sean. Thank you for having me. Once again, if you want to learn more or check out some of the menus to try this summer restaurant week, go to rwdmv.com. Once again, that's rwdmv.com. See you there. Before you go, here's some quick news. D.C.'s Attorney General is pushing to appoint a third-party receiver to oversee much-needed repairs at the Ward 8 apartment complex, Marbury Plaza. For years, tenants allege they have lived without heat, A.C., and hot water, and dealt with pest infestations, sewage leaks, and mold issues. The AG's proposal is highly unusual in D.C. Only eight such cases since 2016 have actually resulted in receivership. Also, The district spent $470 million in federal COVID-19 relief funding without the required approval from the D.C. Council. This is according to a new D.C. Auditor report. The Bowser administration says that local emergency legislation allowed the mayor's office to bypass legislative procedure. And finally, a federal judge ruled that Montgomery County parents cannot opt their kids out of public school lessons involving books with LGBTQ plus themes. Parents have been battling the Montgomery County School Board over pride books on the curriculum for months. The parents plan to appeal the ruling. That's all for today here on CityCast DC. If you've enjoyed the show, share it with your friend that you can't wait to hang out with at Poplar Point. And subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey DC. We'll be back tomorrow morning with even more news from around the city. Talk to you then.